0: Welcome to episode 48 of the Web 2.0 show. Google. Google. Or <laughs> Kevin Marks. Or Open Social. Or Social Graphs. Or Microformats. Microformats. I'm your host, Josh
1: Allen,
2: And I am the co host, Adam Stokoviak. This edition of the Web 2.0 Show is brought to you by Pragmatic Studio. Josh, why don't you tell us just a bit about Pragmatic Studio?
0: So, Pragmatic Studios is kind of cool. I'm uh, I'm happy to have them on as a sponsor. They do a couple different things. Uh, their their main thing though is training. If uh, you're interested in learning a subject, uh, you know they they do training on all kinds of stuff. Uh, they're 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 big into Ruby. They're big into Rails. They do uh, Erlang classes now. And uh, there's some rumors that uh, they're going to have an iPhone dev class coming out.
2: Yeah, October 13th.
0: Yeah. Oh, it looks like they, they, they put the dates up. Yeah. So that that looks really awesome. Um, yeah, so I guess the the registration for that doesn't open until... The uh, NDA from Apple is lifted. And then uh, the Ruby on Rails, if you're interested in learning, it's a great class. Uh, I took the Advanced Ruby class with uh, Dave Thomas and Chad Fowler. But uh, the Ruby on Rails class, from what I hear, is, is excellent as well. And uh, they have a class coming up the 15th to the 17th in Denver. Uh, they, they put on a great class. It, I, I've been to a lot. I've been to a lot locally and uh, I've been to a couple out-of-town training classes. And they really put on a, a quality class. They, uh, they, they take care of the people that come and, and learn. Yeah. So that, that was that was a very fun experience. Um, and then the other thing they do, they just launched this uh, probably about a month or two ago, is Pragmatic.tv. So if you're interested in classes, you can go to PragmaticStudios.com. Uh, if you're interested in screencasts, um, they have Pragmatic.TV, I believe it is. And you can um, go there and, and pick up screencasts on all kinds of content. Uh, I think they cover...
2: Expression Engine, Core Animation, Erlang,
0: Erlang yeah. Everyday Active Record with Ryan Bates, he does the Rails cast stuff. And then Dave Thomas just started a Ruby meta programming uh, line of, of screencasts. So there's there's definitely a lot of stuff here. Like, they've got four episodes covering Active Record. They're about $5 a piece. If you're into PHP, uh, you like Expression Engine, they've got ten episodes, and they're $5 a piece. They're just, uh, they're... they're Well put together, so if you're interested in any of these topics, I mean, I would definitely give them a look.
2: So obviously, you know, Pragmatic uh, Studio is a new sponsor of the Web 2.0 show, we're really happy to have them on board, so if you are interested in sponsoring the Web 2.0 show, you enjoy our content, obviously, uh, you know, we appreciate uh, an email or a phone call from someone who's interested, we're always open to uh, new sponsors we, uh, we look up to.
0: Indeed.
2: Web so this episode is yeah web two o show at gmail.com. So this web to this uh, episode is uh, Google Kevin, Kevin Marks. We sat down with Kevin Marks at the Future of Web Apps in Orlando or sorry uh, in Miami Florida back in February end of February early March and had a good uh, good talk. You'll notice that my voice is still kind of messed up in this one, so I apologize. I got one question because. My voice was sucking.
0: Indeed. We, we covered a lot of good good topics. Uh, if you're interested, we, we covered microformats, which is the idea that you know you mark something up in a specific way. I know we've talked about it on the show before, um, but it's the idea like if you have some calendar data and it's in your H- XHTML just follow certain guidelines to marking it up and then we can use these standards to write parsers and do all kinds of cool stuff with it. So that that's cool. Um, and there's some other work that, uh, you know, Kevin was involved with or other people were involved with, like with XFN, uh, you know, we, we cover some topics there, which is the just the, the rel tag on links. Right. Um, and some of the social graph stuff that uh, Google was working on, and, and then Open Social, which is their uh, social networking API. So,
2: you know, uh, it's kind of wild to rewind this, though, man, and go back to like oh4 when WordPress was really digging deep into the blogosphere, and and you see that the XFN, the Extensible Friends Network, has been sort of around all that time, and now that. You know, it's it's in widespread use, it's it's uh, it's now a sort of a standard, it's out there everywhere that Google's able to come through and, and, and gather and index all that data and, and actually make some sense of it.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Do we have anything else?
2: Just that we're still kicking butt with Handcrafted. Uh, you can obviously follow us individually on Twitter, or you can follow us through the Web 2.0 show, or even... You can follow us through the company, Handcrafted. Uh, in the future, we may do something to make it a bit easier to follow all those different properties. But Adam Stack, A-D-A-M-S-T-A-C, is my uh,
0: Twitter name. Yeah, Josh Owens, that's mine. J-O-S-H-O-W-E-N-S.
2: Through that. And you also have the Web 2.0 show, which is Web Two O Show. Pretty simple.
0: This is all self-explanatory. And then handcrafted.
2: <laughs> handcrafted. Rocking it with handcrafted. So handcrafted. We you know in the next um, in the next little bit too. We, Josh and I have talked on the side about picking up the pace a bit with the Web 2.0 show and and driving it to be a weekly released podcast. So that's something we're striving towards. Uh, hoping to be able to really do that because we have some content sitting here. That's not about to get stale, but we don't want to get stale, so we want to get it out there. Mm-hmm. So we're looking towards being a weekly podcast, and if you guys would enjoy that, certainly shoot us an email at webtwoshow at gmail dot com and you know give us a plus one or something like that. But that's what we're looking to do.
0: Yeah, and if you do follow our Twitter, we're uh, we're working on various tools, Twitter with our Twitter bot that'll uh, auto follow you back, and then you can direct message us right. if that's easier for you as well. Yeah. So. Whatever works. Yep. We're around. But weekly,
2: that's the intent. Very, 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 very soon. Indeed. Maybe next week.
0: Maybe not. Maybe Anyways. maybe after episode 40 50. Maybe
2: episode 50 we should start doing weekly. We should. We'll kick it off this is episode 48. 50.
0: Sounds like Fair a on. plan. All right. We're so well thought out. Listen to us just on the fly, winging it.
2: (laughs) Anyways, I guess, uh, what, on to the episode with Kevin Marks? All right, Um, we're out of here. to the interview.
0: So we're here at Future of Web Apps for our third interview with Kevin Marks of Google. Hi there. Hello, Kevin. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you're working on at Google, and uh, I guess kind of your area of expertise.
1: Um, I'm a developer advocate at Google, which means it's my job to talk to developers um, and tell them about Google stuff and also to bring their concerns back to the engineering teams at Google. The particular area I'm focused on is open social, um, and also the social graph APIs.
0: Okay. And uh, I, you did a lot of work in the uh, microformats area?
1: Um, I've been involved with microformats since, since it was founded, yes. So okay. um, the social graph API is connected with that.
0: Right, yeah. I think that's where I, f- I first heard about you was when uh, the Microformats website first launched. So I don't, that's always been kind of a, an interesting area for us. Um.
1: Well, um, I don't know how much you know about Microformats. The idea of Microformats is um, adding meanings back into HTML, mm-hmm. um, using classes and RELs in HTML to express meaning for, for common um, objects on the web. And yeah. um, The particular stuff we pick up for Social Graph API is what's called XFN, um, and the primary thing of that is indicating connections between sites that indicate it's the same person, rel equals me, and connections between sites that indicate friend relationships, which is rel equals friend. Right. Um, And that's stuff that's indexed by the Social Graph API.
0: Right. That makes sense. Yeah, actually, when the uh, Social Graph API came out, I I was playing around with it and started fixing all the rel tags, like, on my blog and uh, going through and uh, looking at all the other sites, like Twitter's got all the, the rel equals contact on there.
1: Right. I mean, that's part of the part of the goal of that. You know, there's there's two levels of goal. One is it's a useful API for people to look up this stuff on the web, but the other hope is that by making it easy for people to see what's there, it'll encourage them to add this and show that it's being used in other places. Yeah. So creating a nice virtuous cycle. Right. Um, and that's we've, we've seen as you know Tantik and the others were saying earlier, they've seen more uptake of XFN since we started um, indexing it, which is good. Help people think about it.
0: So uh, has has Google been indexing the XFN stuff? for long or just part of the open social stuff?
1: Um, it was it was stuff that Brad Fitzpatrick was really interested in doing. So when he came to Google, he, s- he set up a project to do it. Oh, okay. Brad, Brad, Brad's the um, founder of LiveJournal and originator of a lot of great open source software and protocols. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he moved to Google um, middle of last year. Um, and So he, he built that up there. So um, you know, Google was already crawling all the pages, but he wrote the code to go and look for particular... Uh, Markup that, that indicated that they were social network pages or, or weblogs um, and had relationships that were people relationships. Very cool.
0: So tell us about what actually Open Social is and what, what the goal is for it.
1: Um, Open Social is an abstraction around people um, so that web applications can look up. People information and friendship information within another site. So you can build a web application that runs inside someone else's site using the friend connections and using the people information that's in there. Um, in addition, it lets you store activities that people create in the site to create an event flow, um, like a like a weblog um, view or a Twitter stream or a stream of pictures in Flickr or those kinds of things. It also lets you store data that is associated with people within the site. So there's, there's these three abstractions there. And the goal of this is to let you write social applications without having to do all the work of getting everyone to sign up on your site, let you to write an app and take it around to the other sites where the users already are.
0: Okay, makes sense. So how would this differ from something like OAuth?
1: Um, so... OAuth is a protocol for getting authorization from a site to pull data out of it and take it outside. Um, and it's, it's a well-designed protocol. We're, you know, we're using bits of it in OpenSocial already. It's, it's a protocol that lets you say, I just like this piece of information and get authentication from the user to, to be allowed to get that externally. The difference with OpenSocial is that you're, um, you take your application and you run it within the scope of the, of the containing site. And so it's passing you the information directly to JavaScript, you're not you're not fetching it from a remote server, okay. so you're executing JavaScript within the the host site's context. Um, you can then you can then do you know call outs. You can do a fetch back to your own side. Um, you can do post and gets and HTTP data connections that way. But um, you know, the code is primarily running locally to the, to the to the user within this, that site's context. Um, as opposed to you write your entire thing on an external site and just pull the friends' data into there. There's an assumption that the container site is providing you a surface to render in, um, access to local information, and the ability to feed data in and out. So it's a much more closely coupled model than something like OAuth would, would, would be. Now, we're expecting to be using OAuth when we have a remote REST API for OpenSocial, and that's under discussion at the moment. But the um, what we found was that there was a much... Tighter integration that could be could be done with this, with the existing social network sites. And it was much more straightforward to run the applications within those, um, and it's much it's much clearer benefit to them if you're running an application within the framework of their site rather than just pulling their data out to do something outside. So the the rules for and also the the user interface flow is easier too. If you say to the user you can run this app within this site, it, um, then their understanding is that the authentication policies and authorization policies of that site apply to the application. Um, and they can give any direct permission at that point. Whereas if your app says, I need to go and ask this remote site for permission to do something, that's a more complicated user interface flow for them. Right. And particularly if you have to go, you know, several trips and so on. So that is going to take more work to to get the flow coherent for people.
0: So what are some good examples of uh, microformats or XFN, like large companies that may be using that on the web right now?
1: We're We're seeing quite a lot of uptake amongst the sort of Web 2 applications and things like that, so Twitter, um, Flickr, Pounce, um, LiveJournal all have large install bases of, of XFN usage there, um, and we're starting to see uptake by other developers too. Um, as you know, I've seen several you know, smaller developers here who are working on the same kinds of aggregation applications that look at information from multiple places and try and make sense of it, and those are doing a good job of um, both creating XFN and Looking, looking to read it from external sites. So I'm expecting to see you know, more of that. Part of this is um, microformats to some extent was was a bit of an act of faith initially for people to adopt it. Now, the actual process of adopting it is is fairly straightforward. You just have to make some small changes to your templates in most cases. Right. Um, so the cost of doing that for a developer is not high. But it was, it was hard initially for them to see a benefit for, for end users. Now, we've seen that with other microformats like um, Hcard and Hcalendar, there are several um, client-side tools that will, that will use those to extract personal information and event information and feed that to other applications. But there was less of the XFN stuff because that required more gathering of lots of links from many places to be useful. So the, the social graph API particularly you know, saves that effort of having to write a crawler that would go and walk around lots of different sites to gather the information up and instead gives the um, gives you one point where you can just ask the question for a URL and get the information back straight away. So there's by re- you know, reducing that effort, it, I expected to see give further uptake over time.
2: So we talked about uh, the way web apps are uh, using the HTML API, more or less the microformats in the HTML and or OpenAuth to scrape that or pull that or get that data and reuse it, and repurpose it. How is it changing the browsing experience? Uh, in the future, say, for instance, like Mozilla 3.0 or Firefox
1: 3.0? Okay, so there are, there are existing plugins for um, Mozilla and other browsers um, and also just straight little JavaScript scripts that you can run in the browser that will look for microformats, extract them, and do useful things with them. So it will look for, say, addresses, put them on maps, add them to address books and so on, or look for events and add them to calendars. Um, that is going to be added into the main code line for um, Firefox 3.0. So what I expect to see is much more uptake of that um, in terms of sites realizing that that this stuff is available to them. Um, So, again, it's the same kind of positive feedback loop where you say, oh, that's a useful feature. I could add that to my site. Is this hard to do? No, it's not. Um, uh, So the browsing experience tends to be you're browsing a site and a menu becomes active at the top of the screen and says... Um, there are there are three contacts on this page, or there's an event on this page, or or things like that. Um, now, XFN directly is is less useful in those terms because there, there aren't obvious actions to do with an XFN um, markup, but with hCard and hCard there are. Um, and I, what I expect that that this may create pressure for further microformats that people will find useful. Um, but what we you know, what we found putting the the standards together was. You know, There are a bunch of problems that people have continually, which is moving these, these kinds of structured data around. Um, there are some standards for doing it, but they're not very webby. Um, so the, that point was to build a bridge between those. Um, and we're seeing you know, more sites generating them and more sites taking advantage of reading them. I, I expect that to accelerate over time.
0: So if someone wants to start a new micro-format, like for instance, we have the tastyplanner.com with the recipes. Um, how would, how would someone start, like, an H-recipe microformat or something like that?
1: Um, well, the, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a great process document on the microformat side. Um, what you should look at, you, know, you should look at that first. And the first thing it says is, you want to start a microformat? Don't. Um, <laughs> stop and think. Because the real problem with standards is people jump straight to the standard, and they say, okay, I've got something that I know how to structure it. I'll encode that straight into a standard. My standard is a direct mapping of my data structure. And actually, the point of microformats is to converge lots of different representations. So the first thing you do is you go and gather lots of examples from the web. So you, rather than just looking at your own site, you look at you know, as many big recipe sites you can find, and you look for common features, and you show examples of what they're, what they're expressing in there. So I mean, a good example of this process is what we did for review, which is a microformat for expressing reviews. Um, we went around and looked at lots of different review sites and saw what they had in common. And we try to, and then you try to find the 80-20 overlap. You look for the stuff that lots of the sites share in what they're expressing. So for H, H review, we found they all had something they were reviewing, they had an author of the review, um, they had, and they had a rating. And then we found that most of the ratings were out of five, so we made that the default. Um, and some of them had sub-ratings on other things. Um, and those were, again, often out of, out of five, but we made it – some of them were out of ten, allowed to override so we gave a way to rate a thing on more than one criterion. Um, but you know, there were lots of other possible things you could add to reviews. Um, and what we found was that there, was, there wasn't enough commonality that, to add too many of those. So a lot of it is gathering a good set of, of data examples um, and then working, working out what the implicit schema is across them and what they have in common, um, and then converging that. So that's the first stage. The second stage is to say, okay, what do we already have in microformats that represents these kinds of things. Let's reuse those syntaxes exactly. So in HReview we used um, the existing tag microformat standard um, to express the sub ratings. So we would rate we would rate a tag effectively. We would use the tag to express the, the type, whether it was you know ambiance or food or price or whatever, and then we would use the rating markup around that. So the, the point is to have these these sort of composable set of toolkits that you can reuse um, such that each of them makes sense in their own right. So, um, you know, I don't want to start and try and make a recipe one off the top of my head. But you know what right, we would look yeah. at is you know what are the common things that recipes have. Um, you know, see see what they they all have. You know, and you know, there's obviously you know, there's stuff about quantities there that might be a thing to abstract out. Right. Um, there's, there's stuff about. You know, ingredient, order, lists. ingredient lists and orders right. of process and you know, look at those and, and just gather lots of different recipes and see what you know, nearly all of them have and then the stuff that's specialized to certain kinds of cuisine or whatever you, you probably want to leave out of the standard but the stuff that's common between them you want to do that yeah. then the other part is gather people who are working on the same kinds of science as you are um, and get them involved in the process too so that several of you once you've once you've come up with this idea for it, start marking the sites up in it and see if that actually makes sense and see if you can actually map it back into the into the, the process. But it's, it's very much a community-different process. All this is done in public on the wiki, and there's a series of stages you should work through where you start with the data, the data gathering, then you do the effect of the schema abstraction, then you, you start a discussion about how to represent it. And if you look at the microformats site, there's a series of these in different stages. Um, and but the, the the goal is not to create a microformat format for everything. We, you know, if people start exploring it and find there isn't convergence, then that's still a useful result, and we have a set of things that we tried to converge and didn't on the side, because the point is is to try and pick out things that have a have a widespread need and a widespread appeal. You know, recipes may be one of those. That will be something to look at and see.
0: Yeah, know, uh, someone actually started the process on okay. the on the wiki.
1: So. So yeah, go back and pick that up again.
0: Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Someone Ask already started.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the the, the process is is fairly well-specified. I mean, a lot of it, that was an iterative thing as well. We looked at how we came up with the first ones and said, okay, this is what we did, this is how we did it, and specified it to try and help other people do the same thing.
0: So I guess talking about processes and how, how that works, with um, the social graph API, like if someone finds that maybe it's lacking something or you need to add something to it, or you're looking for a different way to use that, what, like, how would a user, a developer, kind of get that feedback? So there,
1: some parts of the Social Graph API are um, open source. There's one bit in particular that we call the, um, the node mapper, which um, maps between different URLs on a site. Um, so, for example, on a site you'll often have quite a long URL and somewhere in there is a user ID. Um, so we normalize those to a common form with the with, with the site name and the user ID on it. Um, and then we have ways to look up from that to the various different kinds of URLs on a given site. So you may have a profile page. You may have a history page. You know, the, the, there are different kinds of pages you can have on a, on a site that are associated with that, that person. And so we have the set that will map those back or a you know, feed or whatever. Um, so... That piece is is fully open source, um, and it's a, a project that's designed to be expanded. So, if you if you if your site has a bunch of you known URLs for people and different um, contexts for them, then you could add your sites. Uh, you could add a pass to that and add that to the to the site, and that's about that's a valuable thing to do because that makes the whole thing go more straightforwardly. Um, in terms of adding more structure to it. Um, at the moment, we're just picking the XFN elements. There is some debate about adding new elements to XFN going on. Um, I've been following bits of that. Tantek around here, you can probably get more out of him. But there's some discussion of adding um, something like the um, "I'm following somebody" name. Part of it is coming up with a good name for this. Right. But, the, but like I'm, I'm reading this stuff from this person, that will be a useful thing to express. Um, as opposed to they're a friend of mine, or you know there's some actual relationship nuance. So that that's one thing that's been um, discussed there, and there are a couple of others as well. So we, we, you know we'd expect that that standard to iterate there. The other thing we've been looking at is are there other things we could extract from these pages that are that are common, and that's something that may get added to the API in future. But that's um, you know it's a question of find, again looking at is there enough installed, you know, installed pages with this information in that it's that it's worth doing. But what we expect to, more to be added there. But yeah, you know, there's um, I think there's a discussion group on on Google Groups for oh, Social Graph okay. API that you should you should sign up and send suggestions to there. That.
0: Okay, that's awesome. So I'm kind of jumping around here. The um, open open social. Um, okay, back to that. Yeah, who uh, you know? Who's implementing that now? And you know, I don't know if you can talk about like maybe other people you're working with to get that implemented on other sites.
1: Sure. And um, there are there are three large sites that will be deploying that over the next month. Uh, hmm? Sorry, go ahead. That would will be Orkut, um, MySpace, and High Five, which between them have something like 150 million users. So we expect to see those deployed over the course of the next month, um, which means that you'll certainly have a large user base to add applications to. We also expect that there are a whole bunch of other partners who've signed up for Open Social, including many large social networking sites and other sites that have personal data that we expect to pick up over the, over the following months. Um, there's also the open source Shindig project, which is an implementation of an Open Social container that you can download and install and run on your own site or connect to your own user data. So if you wanted to become a container, that would be the way to do it. Um, so we're expecting, again, we're expecting pick up from that. Um, currently, that's in, in a state where you can build and run um, something with a Java-based server. The, the PHP-based version is um, being built up next. That's what we expect to see next. But we're looking for people to develop in other languages, too. So if, if that was something that was interesting, that would be a useful thing to you know, encourage people to work on, too, but want to do a Ruby version or a Python version or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think, actually, the the company I work for, like, on my day job, they, uh, they're they very interested in in uh, working on a Ruby version. Yeah. So yeah. They, they've been watching the space pretty closely. So there's, I mean,
1: a chunk of the stuff is JavaScript that runs client-side, and then there's bits that run on the server. So the, the server pieces are the bits where we need bridges to um, different you know, hosting languages and, and and also different frameworks if there are... If there's a framework that has a set of user data in it naturally, then mapping that through would be a useful thing to do. So think about where that might work, whether it's your site or whether it's something that's a broader project that you're running on top of. Yeah. And the other part of that is something I said in the talk, is that think about how you could refactor your application such that it's split between the user registration code and all that information and the bit that is the core of the app where... In this case, in your case it would be recipes um, and how they're associated with people if you could if you could split it into those two pieces you could take the recipe piece and take that around to the different social network sites and provide that as a plugin that would work with the user bases there um, and that you know, that's a, that's a way to um, expand the number of people who who would be able to use the application but the other thought is if you split your application that way your site if your site is a good source for People to register and share things, you could add other people's applications to that too if there was something that that you know if someone wrote a good you know, shopping list app or you know, um, something like that, that might be a good corollary that you could you could plug into that you know, and you can imagine there may be other other additions there that will be helpful so it's it's thinking about refactoring your application into. The sort of the core of storing user data and the abstractions around that, and then the specifics of the specific application that you can move to other places, and that's that's the hardest thing. You know, that's the hardest mental thing to do in this space. Is to suddenly get out of the habit oh, of okay, everything's yeah. going to be a website. <laughs>
0: yeah, think differently. So, if I guess the idea behind Open Social is to build an app and be able to bring the app to the users versus having users come in and, and sign up
1: yeah um one of the big most annoying things when you're building a website is writing user registration code writing code to store all the different fields to go with the user getting them to put the enter in the form and um, particularly for the social application and they you need them to tell you about their friends getting them to a invite their friends and B if the friends are already there connect them up so there's that's a whole bunch of work and it's basically overhead code you've got to write before you can do something interesting about um, you know To keep the recipe example going, to see what recipes your friends would recommend to you, or you know what's in season, or whatever this those kinds of things. Um, So, by abstracting that stuff away, um, you can you can just build your application around the core of what you're trying to do. Rely on the existing user data that's been collected by some of these large sites, and take your application out to these different networks of users that are already there. And the point is that they've already expressed their friendship clusters um, by joining these sites. and what you find is that the um, the sites don't choose the users, the users choose the sites. And you'll find that there are different classes of users in different places. And many of the social networks have, um, you know, they will tell you stories of, well, we didn't expect this to take off in um, Brazil. We didn't expect this to take off in Portugal, but it did. And now we've got this huge user base there because they told their friends about the site. Um, so, what you'll find is by writing the application in that way, you can take it to all these different niches on all these different sites and you'll find these you'll have this same kind of organic growth of connections between people and some people using the recipes and feeding it back that way
0: yeah how how, how, how big is the open social team
1: that's actually a really hard question to answer yeah it's <laughs> I would imagine so um, for two reasons one is there's a lot of people working on it inside Google but as part of their job on something else, because it touches various different places inside Google, it touches awkward, it touches um, server code, it touches you know, a bunch of stuff like that, client code. Um, the other thing is that it's a it's a community project, so there are a lot of people working on it who um, work for different social network companies or who are interested in, in in this world. So I couldn't I couldn't give you a straight answer. I mean, I suppose I could say the last time we had a container meeting. Um, get-together to talk about developing it, there were over 100 people there. That, that's, that's one answer. Right. And they were all pretty much you know engineering people working on it right. um, from a bunch of different places. But you know, one of the reasons we're, we're doing a lot of the development through the um, Shindig project and the, the Apache process is because you know, they're used to managing open source projects and we're used to doing that kind of work there. But there are lots of other groups that it touches on because once you once you get used to this idea, you start thinking, "Oh, I could build this that way, I could build that that way." And we we you know we're seeing it spread out to more people, and you know some of those will come back and contribute to the to the core code. Others will be writing applications against it and giving feedback. Right. So it's one of those like you know how big is your <laughs> how big is your community?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Th- thanks for coming on the show, Kevin.
1: Thanks very much. Good to talk. To you.
2: Thank you for listening to this edition of the Web 2.0 Show with Josh Owens and Adam Stachowiak. Tune in every two weeks for in-depth interviews with the hottest people on the web, building the coolest sites ever. The Web 2.0 Show is a handcrafted podcast. Visit handcrafted at gethandcrafted.com.